This episode of Weed Week is brought to you by JARS. JARS makes high-performance glass-lined containers to store, transport, and enjoy cannabis flowers wherever your adventure takes you. To learn more about how JARS containers will help elevate your adventures, go visit them at JARS.com. That's J-Y-A-R-Z dot com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Haley Fox. I'm Alex Halpern. And we have a very news-centric episode for you today. We're going to get into a lot of kind of heady, heavy issues, but we think they're important, and we learned a lot, and we hope you will too. Alex, why don't you give them a little teaser of who we're going to talk to later? All right. So we're going to talk to Ken Ramirez, who's the CEO of cryptocurrency company Alt36, and they're trying to bring cryptocurrency to the to the cannabis industry as an alternative to banks. And if you don't know what cryptocurrency is, do not worry. We are going to explain that as well. Um, I learned a lot throughout this interview. So before we get there, though, let's um, get to the news of the week. A lot of, obviously, it was the primaries last week for a lot of states, and there's kind of been a lot of local and legislative news. So Alex, uh, kick us off. So there's been a sort of rumors and sort of push and pull on this for quite a few weeks now. But some folks in the Republicans in the Michigan legislature had the idea of legalizing cannabis over the summer, legalizing recreational cannabis over the summer as a way to depress turnout during the, the midterm elections in November. And they, their reasoning was that liberals would come out to vote for legalization and, and they would vote against Republicans. Um, smart. And, yeah. <laughs> seems smart. <laughs> it, it, it seems smart, but it didn't, it didn't work out. So in November, uh, Michigan will be voting on legalizing recreational marijuana, and they will be voting on whether to keep their um, Republican lawmakers in place. Have I'm curious, have like other states or bodies tried this before? This kind of bait and switch or, you know, dilute the uh, enthusiasm for a certain measure? Um, so Oklahoma is going to be voting on medical legalization okay in a couple weeks in june and i know november was also a possibility so they may have they may have made a similar decision but it would have been just moving the time of the vote rather than changing the method of the vote from a ballot initiative to through the legislature gotcha okay and i'm also not sure if if they did it with with the same intention but still similar and interesting because i had not even thought of this as a tactic before okay great and you know, uh, like we said, there's been a lot of primary elections last week and a lot going on um, in Colorado, which obviously is a notoriously progressive, cannabis-friendly, um, cutting-edge state. Governor John Hickenlooper there um, has actually been vetoing a bunch of cannabis-related bills left and right. He recently shot down one that would have added autism spectrum disorder to the list of medical conditions um, that can be treated legally with medical marijuana in the state. That was to a lot of disappointment from a, a bunch of parents and children and consumers um, who you know, responded in kind to uh, his decision. And he also, uh, Governor Hickenlooper, shot down another measure that would have basically been the first of its type in the country to allow a type of on-site consumption at weed shops. Um, this specific type of license would basically have allowed dispensaries to operate their own tasting rooms um, where people could try out a new concentrate or edible and kind of figure out what they want. Um, I pictured it kind of like if you go to a brewery and they have um, a tasting room so you can try 
try their products and then maybe, you know, purchase something to go. So that also was shot down and kind of a lot of people I know have been looking forward to that hopefully passing and kind of what it might mean for other states. So while this is news in its inactivity, it does represent, you know, that just because a lot of progress is being made on the West Coast in these states, it's not like every every aspect of the industry is progressing. So did he crack down? Did he nix these bills just to sort of look tough or what, what was his rationale? I believe so. The on-site consumption one, the tasting room bill, um, he said that there was actually some sort of language in the amendment that legalized cannabis in in, uh, Colorado that would contradict with this. So basically, he's claiming for the tasting room thing, there's a legal conflict why it can't pass. And for the autism spectrum disorder, um, you know, vetoing its previous approval to be on this list of medical conditions. He had cited a bunch of different reasons, I think a lot having to do with just the general availability then of cannabis to younger consumers. And these two actually were in addition to at least one other um, that he had gone against related to cannabis. So it's kind of an interesting turn of events the uh, the last week. I do not know, to be honest with you. Um, I started researching it, but I believe it was kind of more of a minor um, technical change to one of the laws. These were the two that kind of had the most vocal supporters and opposition. Got it. So on this next one, Alex, I kind of was surprised to see a lot of these words (laughs) strung together in this way. So tell us um, what's what's going on. President (laughs) Trump? Yes, and signing a bill having to do with cannabis. So tell me what is going on. All right, so... Trump signed the so-called right to try bill, which is, it's been very controversial, but the the story behind it is that it's a way for very sick, I think usually terminally ill patients to access drugs that haven't been approved by the, by the Food and Drug Administration. And this, these could potentially include medical marijuana, though it's not clear how that would work out on sort of the individual patient level, especially in states where access to medical marijuana isn't isn't really possible. So I think even without medical marijuana, this bill is pretty controversial and it's experimental. And but, you know, we'll see. And so has this come up like has the is the cannabis industry, I guess, paying attention then to this bill? Like, was this something that's been looked at as it could impact the industry? They have. I, I don't I don't know. I haven't really seen much from in terms of how businesses think it could affect their because if it's in states where they don't have an industry already, it's not clear who would it's provide be a it kind of where it would come from. Um, but something to watch. All right. Well, that wraps up the news for this week. Um, we are going to get into our interview. At JARS, they believe they make the best cannabis containers in the world, but they're not alone. Some preeminent experts in the field agree. Here's what the renowned Heshi Shin, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, consultant, educator, and writer Frenchie Canoli has to say. Storing my resin has been a lifelong search for the perfect product. That is, until I found my first JARS. 
a glass protected by a plastic shell. It's shockproof, smellproof, colorful, and classy. It was love at first sight. Fall in love with jars today at jars.com. That's J-Y-A-R-Z.com. And the Y is silent. They even have a new pale pink color ready for summer. Check them out at jars.com. J-Y-A-R-Z.com. Today's guest is Ken Ramirez, CEO of Alt36, a cryptocurrency company which is serving the cannabis industry. Cryptocurrency and the blockchain are hot topics. They're they're also complex, but um, I think Ken does a pretty good job of explaining why it's a valuable technology and what it could mean for, for the cannabis industry. So we hope you enjoy it. Hey, Ken, it's Alex and Haley with Weed Week. How's it going? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Hey, Ken. Thanks for being on. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. We are wondering if you could start by just telling us first what cryptocurrency means and what blockchain means, what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So cryptocurrency, uh, how familiar are you with uh, Bitcoin? I mean, familiar with the overall premise of it, but I'm still very confused on how it actually works for the most part. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So you have you have uh, different cryptocurrency projects. There's about 1,600 of them. And so basically what this is, is it's a form of decentralized currency. Whereas, you know, traditional U.S. dollar, you know, the euro and so forth are government, centralized government currencies, right? Now, each one of these currencies is built on blockchain technology. The simplest way to put it is blockchain technology is a decentralized ledger, right? So when it comes to traditional currency, when you go through your banks and you sit and you clear a transaction, confirm a transaction, it goes to one centralized server and then that transaction is confirmed and, it, and that process takes a while because obviously it's going through multiple systems, but it's one centralized entity. With blockchain, <clears throat> when a transaction goes to the network, it's hosted on thousands of servers all around the world. Uh, so when a transaction comes in, it, it is validated by thousands of servers. Uh, once, once it's validated by those thousands of servers, that transaction, that record can never be changed for the history of the world, essentially. Um, and so what, that's really what makes blockchain really attractive to a lot of people is that you can have this this decentralized ledger, and you're able to have these records that are fully transparent. Anybody in the world can go back and take a look at the transaction in the blockchain. At the same time, it's permanent. So when you need to have really a proof of stake or you, know, you, you need to be able to verify that a transaction is legitimate, it will always be recorded on a decentralized ledger uh, until the end of time. And so what these decentralized servers do is it, it basically eliminates the need to go through a bank, a centralized entity. I, I get the kind of, you know, anarchy appeal of this. Like, I don't want to go through a bank. I want to be in charge of my own money and all that. In addition to the punk rock, uh, you know, attraction of some of this, on a logistical level, or I guess financial level, does this translate then into more money for people or just better keeping better track of their money? Or I guess, you know, what would be the reason someone would use it? So, yes. Uh, so efficiency is one. So, you know, reduced fees. When you, when you process a traditional transaction, you have a lot of different parties that are involved in that transaction, right? You have the processor, you have the acquiring bank, you have the issuing bank, you have the card networks, which is Visa MasterCard. And as it goes throughout this entire, let's call it 
transaction process, fees are accumulated across each one of those entities. The, and, and the highest one being interchange fees. In the United States, there's over a thousand plus interchange fees. And the minimum interchange fee is about 1.7%. And so when a merchant accepts a payment, uh, that, that interchange fee ranges from 1.7% all the way up to above 3%, depending on a variety of factors. Now with blockchain, you don't have to go through all the different entities. You basically go to the network and the network is, is super encrypted. So that way, when you go to the network, the transactions, or at least our transactions, are a fraction of a cent on the Dash blockchain. So thus a fraction of a cent versus, you know, 1.7 to, let's call it 3.2% is a significant difference in the cost, you know, in processing that transaction. In addition to that, you look at the speed of the transaction, right? And if we were to send money across the world right now, let's just use an example. Say I was, I was going to send $100,000 to Montenegro right now or Serbia. It would, it would have to go through multiple entities in order to get to that individual. Thus, a lot of fees coming out. And think about the amount of time it would take to get to that individual and be available for him to actually reuse those funds. With blockchain, it takes us a fraction of a second to send $100,000 across the world and those funds are available immediately for him to spend and so when you take a look at you know time and cost blockchain outperforms you know traditional government regulated fiat i think i think you did a really good job explaining that in a in a in a straightforward way so thank thank you so much absolutely all right so so sort of big picture how can the cannabis industry benefit from from cryptocurrency so when you take a look at the current state of the cannabis industry, you know, from a federal level, it's still classified as a scheduled drug, right? So it's still federally illegal. So what's happened is you have a lot of different states that have created their own kind of guidelines and regulations around cannabis. Now, from an FDIC perspective, federally regulated banks, any banks with 10 billion or more in capital assets, put themselves at risk for processing, you know, a controlled substance, if you will or a scheduled substance. Now, what that's done is it's prevented lack of access to tr traditional financial services. And what it's done is it's created, you know, an industry that's dependent on cash. You know, I think right now they're saying that it's a reported $7 billion cash industry. It's actually around $20 billion, $7 billion is just the recorded amount. So when you think about $20 billion in cash in the industry, that comes with a lot of problems. Well, number one being crime. You know, if you're holding cash and you're operating like some of the dispensaries we're working with that do over $350 million a year in cash, it puts yourself as a sitting target for, you know, theft, not just external theft, but internal theft, right? What we've done is we've basically taken a look at this problem and we've tackled it from all different directions. So we use the Dash blockchain essentially as our clearinghouse. So when people say, you know, how are you using blockchain? Uh, it, we would make it most comparable to the banks clearing transactions, except we're doing it through the blockchain, which is a lot more efficient, more transparent. So not only are we enabling, you say, the B2C transaction at the point of sale, we also enable the dispensary to invite their vendors, their suppliers, their distributors. And once everybody registers within our platform, they all have free range to transfer funds between each other without having to depend on physical cash. And so is this something then um, that you envision, like, you know, you mentioned the dispensaries and maybe some of the people they're working with, but is this then also something like, say, I'm just a customer who's walking into a dispensary, like that I would theoretically use um, this cryptocurrency to then buy my product? Or is this more of a supplier side tool? Our whole goal was to mimic 
you know, traditional financial systems as much as possible. We've created a, let's call it a digital wallet, a mobile wallet. And all the consumer would do was download our digital wallet. They would attach ACH, debit card, credit card. And when they go into the dispensary, when they purchase, they select a product, when they purchase their product, we in the back end are purchasing that amount of dash. And then we're doing the full conversion. There's a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of complex stuff that goes on behind the scene, but it all happens within a fraction of a second. And the consumer has very little idea that they're dealing with digital currency whatsoever. Um, they have the ability to transact within digital currency, but we feel at the beginning, you know, we're going to basically treat this as if it were traditional currency. So our whole goal was basically to remove all the complicated and complex stuff that is associated with digital currency, put it behind the scenes and create a simple Stripe-like interface that allows the consumers, merchants, and additionally, all of the other parties in the ecosystem to be able to transact as if they would if they're using traditional government-regulated fiat U.S. And And you have a system which sort of, as you said, you want to mimic existing systems, and your system is going to work sort of like an ATM? Essentially like an ATM, but without physical cash being involved whatsoever. So, it would so be how does like that a, work? So basically what would happen is, you know, the customer would download our mobile wallet. They would attach it to the debit card, credit card, or ACH. They would go and they would pick out their product. <clears throat> and the back end, say the product is $60, right? And so they go and they get pushed a notification that says you approve a $60 purchase. And the back end, we go and we purchase $60 worth of digital currency. And then we send it to the merchant. As soon as the digital currency hits the merchant, we then convert back to U.S. dollars. So that way the, the merchant has zero exposure to the volatility of the price whatsoever. So what we've been doing is we've been partnering with each one of the dispensaries and uh, we've incorporated multiple you know, value-added services within our platform, one of them being loyalty. So that way, every single time that the consumer pays with this payment method, i.e. our app, you know, they're basically rewarded for that in the form of either you know, uh, a discount off their purchase or there's going to be promotional items or so forth. You know, when you take a look at, say, like Apple Pay, right? If there is a 5% discount on all products and services that I use with Apple Pay purchase, I would use it for every single purchase, right? Over the long term, 5% will add up. But as it stands right now, there's zero incentive except for the convenience, which that still takes changing of behavior. Gotcha. Okay. And so at at this point, um, where, where are things now? I mean, in terms of, you know, where is your system being used? Is it being used places? Kind of what's the trajectory from here? So we just obtained on 420, <laughs> coincidentally. Of course. <laughs> we, we obtained our, our money transmission license in Arizona. Uh, we're also finishing up with California right now as well. We're about 80 to 90% through about six other states. So our first integration is with CanTrade. It's a B2B market, wholesale marketplace, right? So what it allows dispensaries to be able to buy products from their vendors and their suppliers through an online marketplace. So that way... They can avoid, you know, having to manage the cash, count the cash, distribute the cash, and so forth. Our second integration that we're getting ready to go live with is with WebJoint. The WebJoint is a point of sale uh, in California. They're also breaking into Nevada and Arizona. So they have, currently have 250 dispensaries on their platform. So as soon as we finish up the integration, which should be about within the week, um, basically we're going to start converting and providing access to about 250 different merchants 
not only from the point of sale, but also e-commerce and in-app mobile purchases as well. Um, so Arizona and California are two major markets. Behind that, we have Oregon, Nevada, Colorado, and Washington following very soon behind. Okay, great. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. Absolutely. Thanks again for your time, and I'm sure we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Okay, Thanks, great. Ken. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, that was Ken Ramirez, CEO of Alt36. To better understand how his system of cryptocurrency works, um, you can check out our show notes for a link to an explainer, a bit of an explainer. And just as a heads up, um, we are going to start posting more links and additional info um, in the show notes so you can hear uh, the news stories we reference, see what me and Alex have been working on each week, and just kind of expand the podcast experience. Here, here. All right, so... That's it for this week. As always, you can email us at weedweeknews at gmail.com. We'd love to hear if you use any of the digital currencies out there today to buy your cannabis. Um, And also, you can head to iTunes and give us a rating or lead us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Halperin. You can find me on Twitter at EP Fox, like the animal. And that's it. We're out of here. I'm Haley Fox. I'm Alex Halperin. Hannah Smith is our producer, and Alicia Beyer wrote our theme music. Catch you next week. Bye.